A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 284, Breaking Down the Monolith, Incentivizing Good Choices. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? We interviewed Frederick Nielsen, who's the engineering manager at Pandora. The jewelry one, not the music one. (laughs) So some key takeaways or thoughts from Frederick's point of view. Number one, your data technology and architecture choices incentivize certain behaviors. Consider what behaviors you want before you lock yourself into anything. Number two, advice to pass data mesh self, quote, construct a data architecture and platform that can adapt to the business requirements and wishes, which will change over time. So build a composable platform as it's, quote, easier to adapt to changing business requirements. So focus on decentralization features and make it decoupled and composable. Number three, Trying to go too wide with your data mesh implementation at the start with all your domains makes it harder to find really your groove and build momentum around your data mesh implementation. Number four, cost transparency can be a big driver for data mesh adoption. Teams want to understand their costs, and many organizations are driving cost-cutting initiatives. Decomposing the monolith, the monolithic approach to data means better understanding the cost of individual pieces of data work. Number five, relatedly, when teams are responsible for their own costs, it's easier to spot when someone is making trade-offs related to cost. It's a much more tangible decision, and it can be a conscious decision to take on tech debt, but you can actually (laughs) see that somebody is making that decision instead of just making an architectural decision. Number six, When taking a concept like data mesh to the highest levels in the organization, attach it to tangible use cases. Make it something that is worth their while, you know, that the juice must be worth the squeeze. 
focus on the strategic business goals and priorities. Find something they care about. Number seven, it's okay to leverage management consultants, but your data ownership should be very clearly and should be internal. External parties should not own any aspects if you want long-term success. Regarding consultants, quote, you would rather be driving them than them driving you. Number eight, it's absolutely normal for some teams to be more data mature than others. If teams raise their hands saying they need help with their data work, your culture is mature enough where teams ask for help and they should get it where possible. Number nine, potentially controversial, it's potentially better to focus on your more data mature teams first when going with data mesh so you can move faster early. Number 10, if possible, create golden paths or pre-configured approaches for less data-mature teams to be able to still create data products. Number 11, it can be hard to show domains why they should move to data mesh. Focusing on use cases is probably the best approach, but finding use cases enticing enough to each domain can be a challenge. Number 12, Tying your data initiatives to the company's strategic priorities is crucial to get buy-in, such as personalization and omni-channel experience. These were two big ones for Pandora. How do you tie your use cases back to what is most important to the business? Number 13, at the heart of it, data mesh should be about driving business outcomes, especially the ones people really care about. Focus on that and you'll have a far higher chance of success and getting and maintaining buy-in. Number 14, make sure you build your data products in a scalable way. That means understanding when you need to put information into separate data products instead of trying to combine it all into one. That You're just going to create mini enterprise data warehouses and microliths, right? If you try to say this data product should serve, you know, this one use case when there's data coming from so many different places. Number 15, if your data team is remaining quite productive, but the backlog is ever increasing, as is the time between request and delivery, then your central data team might be a bottleneck. Consider addressing that with something like data mesh. Number 16, potentially controversial, less mature domains can get a more watered down version of data mesh as they learn to actually manage and own their data. You don't need to start with the most complicated aspects and use cases first. Now, Scott note here, this can be a slippery slope. So, you know, be careful around that. But also, you know, <laughs> we're not trying to, to put somebody on, on rocket skates when they're just learning how to, you know, uh, put on their skates or same thing with like a bike. You don't, you don't give them a motorcycle when they are uh, still in need of training wheels. Number 17, when mapping out potential use cases, ask the amount of effort, or if it's even possible, to execute in your existing you know, non-data mesh architecture. If it's not possible, data mesh can mean far more data capability for the organization, which can be a great selling point for data mesh. Hey, this will let us actually tackle things that we haven't been able to before. Finally, number 18, a decentralized architecture can mean cost savings by getting far more fine-grained, such as shutting off test environments over the weekend or at night. You can find places to be more efficient far more easily instead of just 
this one big monolith and trying to figure out what little pieces can you actually uh, move around within that. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Frederick Nielsen here, who's an engineering manager at Pandora. And we're going to be talking a lot about kind of what they've learned from their data mesh implementation so far about building out their platform and like, how do you think about how much you should invest into that platform early? I know a lot of people want to build out the platform entirely for the, their entire uh, journey at the start because they're used to trying to, to do that. How do you figure out like, if centralization is actually your bottleneck, if the centralization of your data team, and so we're going to talk through some stories about what what's happened, you know, at at Pandora and from just Frederick's learning in general, as well as we're going to talk about how do we actually go about decomposing the monolith, right? This is something where a lot of people want to come in and just, you know, oh, we're decentralizing, let's decentralize everything, versus how do we do this in, in an approach that's going to work and how do we, as well, think about how you actually start to pre-prepare for your preparation phase? Like, how do you approach your preparation phase before you start to implement? How do you think about um, getting into that mode and, and, and working with the rest of your organization? But before we jump into that, uh, Frederick, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Yeah, uh, thanks, Scott. Uh, so my name is uh, Frederick. Uh, I've worked uh, in Pandora for nearly three years, uh, two years as an intern. Before that, I was on the dark side as a consultant, but uh, for Pandora, so decided to jump over the fence. I've worked with data and analytics for six or seven years now. Uh, I initially thought I was going to be a macroeconomist out of university, did a lot of like forecasting and then went into civil service. I then found out like I, I didn't have the temperament for, for that. I, I liked having my hands on, on something that, that quickly became a tangible thing that you could use. Uh, so I met a data consultancy in Denmark, and that was sort of my way into to, uh, this area right now. It's worked almost exclusively with, uh, with Microsoft. Microsoft is very big in Denmark, uh, where Pandora's headquarters is. Um, but, but yeah, now I'm managing... Um, uh, around 30 engineers, half of them internal Pandora employees and, and the other half external uh, consultants, uh, mainly in our commercial data teams, meaning the ones that has our consumer data and our sales data in the, the physical stores uh, and online. So, so so that's what I do day to day. Awesome. And I think that that kind of helps in thinking about what we were planning on talking about first, which is the right level of investment in the platform early in your journey. You've got a lot of people, you know, when you're starting to think about this, this journey, you know, we can maybe talk about what you did, but also what you'd recommend, you know, if, if, if you could go back and change anything. One, one of the questions I'll ask you later is what, what advice would you give your, your past data mesh self? So you can wrap in that kind of idea of how do you think about 
what's the right level of investment when when you're kind of heading down this journey? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's it's exactly one that I've thought about uh, over the last couple of months. Uh, I'm uh, a little teaser maybe that I'll write about it on LinkedIn because like a little bit of going backwards, the, the way I entered Pandora was like a big uh, cloud migration project uh, that was very much about like basically moving a monolith from an on-premise environment to a cloud environment. Uh, and then... Um, uh, when I was about a year in data mesh started uh, a year in Pandora data mesh started to come in as sort of proposed from management consultants uh, they actually did uh, do a very nice proposal of like hey you should take a look at this and initially it was came in in sort of like an odd way of saying like hey this could be your way into real-time data and we were like sounds like governance uh, and what is this what is this thing Um and and there was this pilot project that went like a catastrophe, but like the ones of us that were involved in it were like, hey, this is actually we see the analysis in data mesh as the a good uh, sort of the description of the problems we have, and you know a, a route forward that could sort of uh, inform a larger uh, transformation uh, of our architecture and data landscape, and uh, and then. We had the issue of like the monolith that that we are still uh, moving uh, up to um, to to the cloud, uh, and I think the advice I would give myself going back would be to say you should think about how you construct a, a data architecture and platform that can adapt to the business requirements and wishes that will change over time, and I think a more composable platform that is more decentralized is easier to adapt to changing business requirement than a big monolith. I think that's the realization that I've come to recently. So working in some of those decentralization features and making it more composable, decoupled, is what I would go back and do if I had the opportunity. Yeah, well, and yeah, I mean, that's the whole uh, approach of microservices and trying to put that into absolutely everything. And um, so like, when you're thinking of that level of investment, though, early in the journey, some people are looking to try to fully build out all of their governance. Some people are trying to to build out all of these complex data processing technologies. Like, did you find use cases that were relatively simple early, or did you tackle kind of the you know you said that that you had a POC that didn't go so well? Did you go for the hardest challenge first, as as kind of a lot of people do? It was more. Um, it was more like things, uh, something that was sold as data mesh, but but wasn't. I like uh, the 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 project originally came in through management consultants that were like, you should look at getting uh, a dashboard of your real of your consumers real time. Uh, like we should do this dashboard where you can uh, stream data in, uh, and that you can have a report that you can showcase all around the offices. And like these are your amount of consumers. And this is very big in a retail company uh, like Pandora. We need to know how many are buying our jewelry. Can we identify them by an email? And our CTO loved it and our CEO loved it because it was very tangible for them. So that was what data mesh for them was. This was this dashboard. For the rest of us, when we dug into it, it's like it's infrastructure, it is governance principles, it is all of these things. It's it's not really about streaming data. Um but for me, it was an example of something that we should maybe have latched onto more. Was saying like, oh, th- this is 
making this paradigm very tangible for top leadership. So maybe we should just have run with it and said like, okay, this is what they want to fund. So let's build it around this use case. Um, but yeah, so so it was a little bit, I think we could have made like a pilot that was more successful and then started building from there. Um, but it was a little bit, yeah, it was muddy. It was also too many consultants and uh, yeah, uh, people have probably tried that before. So not the right ownership internally in the organization either. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, the too many cooks in the kitchen and as well, the external consultants are always uh, one of those things where you're like, okay, they're really helpful if we leverage them in the right way, but they're a, a tool to leverage. <laughs> exactly. And like, it's you would rather be driving them than them driving you, right? Uh, and that was a little bit the situation that we ended up in. Uh, so did you start to build any, you, you talked about that you would make your uh, platform more, uh, composable. Yeah. Did you start to build anything that was like, okay, everybody's going to need these like really complex things or like, what, what did you find where your expectations for your platform didn't align with the, the realities, you know, where it was like, okay, we're going to need this really complex, like flink, you know, very extremely scalable. And people were like, we, we need a way to move our data from here to there and we need a, a place to store it. Yeah, so it's um, so actually, I would say the thing that has driven most of the uh, push towards a more data mesh aligned uh, infrastructure for us recently has been the wish to have cost transparency. I, 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 if you if you go back a year, like especially as a as a retail company, there was a big fear that all of these inflation. Uh, worries would have a big impact on our uh, sales. And therefore, we have had budgets this year that has been very much focused on, say, like, get to cost reductions. And when you then have, like, a big monolithic platform, it becomes tough to go to a team and say, like, hey, you are in charge of this part of the cost. You should look at bringing it down or you're responsible for this part. Uh, and we've said, like, if you want to get to that point, you need to take this monolith and break it up. Uh, and, and, and we had and that's basically what we've worked on a lot of uh, cost-cutting initiatives this year. But it has allowed us to say, okay, let's let's uh, give the product teams their own area that they can build in. You have a lot of freedom on how to do it. Databricks has been the primary platform so far, but we want to extend that to other areas. Uh, and that and, and the cost focus has made much easier to say, hey, you're working here. This is something you own. All the data in it, the ones who have access to it. And and that has allowed the foundation to sort of being slowly built out. Uh, so I would say, like in many ways, now we have a skeleton in place to scale this across the organization. Uh, still a long way to go, but but like uh, the structure is is starting to get there. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um, so Nylia Sarbinjanova, uh, sorry if I I murdered your name, but um, was talking about this as well, where. Um, when you started to actually put the costs of the data work onto the teams uh, where they actually could see what the specific data work was, they could they started to dig in and go, well, do we actually need this? Do we need this? And so they started to cut down on the data work they were doing, which feels like a data mesh anti-pattern, but it's really not. It's focusing on what matters. It's starting to say, is are we managing this like a product? does this matter? And they started to dig into these places and they said, no, this stuff doesn't matter. So let's start to cut it down. 
uh, as well as they were teaching them how to own the data and then, you know, kind of had a second phase where they were uh, focused on sharing. But exactly what you're saying of you can start to say, okay, what what really does matter here? And if it's time to market, maybe you make some some other approaches and you take on some tech debt. But if it's not that, or if you've got a solution in place and you're like, okay, I'm going to replace this with a more cost-effective uh, approach to this, you have those those fine-tuning options, which with the, the monolithic platform, one, those teams didn't even know about, and two, there wasn't really that case to be able to dig in and say, what matters and why should we do this and, and really start to make those decisions. Have you, have you found the teams are capable of making them or are they getting to capable or are they understanding them or just because I, I know some people are, are afraid of giving that to uh, the domains and, and saying, do they actually know how to make good choices here? Uh, some teams are ready. Others are not and are actively saying, I need more assistance. Uh, so like uh, coming from a more centralized setups, uh, uh, some of the under, uh, other engineering leads are saying, I don't feel like we have the competencies, for example, to handle uh, you know, scaling our compute correctly, uh, configuring this. Uh, so I think it is um, building this out, out is not for exactly a one-size-fits-all for everybody. I think what hopefully we'll end up with is that teams can choose to have like basically what technology they would use, but also maybe do I work within a more confined uh, platform, an area where things is pre-configured because that's where we are right now as a team, or do I need a more um, free setup where I can have a lot of configurability and basically if you dream about it all the way out to its extreme that maybe like it can doesn't have to be on Databricks or other uh, Microsoft services. Maybe it's Kubernetes and in an entirely different cloud. Um, but uh, but yeah, you can say um, some teams are, are more ready and mature, so so they can handle this on their own. Others are saying like, hey, I would still like to have some extra support on on some of these platforms, which I think is is very very common. I don't think I think as long as they understand that they need that then it works, right? You have that with a maturity journey with everybody. If people understand that they aren't ready to take on everything and there's a way for them to get the help they need, then that's that's the whole part of this being a journey. It's not you you flip the switch and everybody now owns their data and you go, you know, too bad, so sad. You're 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 the one that's that's holding the bag. Um I, I think that makes a lot of sense and it's something that a lot of people I don't think are really expecting to have those constant conversations and you go, okay, you still need help. Like, let's work with you to figure out what you need right now, but also how do we get this so that you can do this yourself in, in the future when you, you know, so that it's not always you need help. It's how do we get you to self-sufficient, but we're going to give you the help you need. Has that, has that been easy to communicate? Has that been, is it, you know, a cultural thing. I know a lot of cultures are a, a little less uh, a helping hands kind of approach. Yeah, it's not been easy to communicate. I think that is, um, uh, I think that's turning back a little bit to the making it tangible uh, thing. Um, so we we all also had some engagement with uh, ThoughtWorks that is, has, of course, been very close to Data Mesh from, from the beginning with Shamak uh, working there. Uh, and 
uh, it was tough to sell data mesh as like something we should do why in the wider digital organization and attach uh, you know revenue and use cases to it uh, where data mesh was essential. So it's uh, I've said like I, I can see two approaches as to how you do it. Either you try to say like okay we have this one big moonshot project where data mesh is a core component in in moving us to some somewhere that's substantially different, or you have to go like piece by piece and say okay uh, here a federated governance is essential because we don't have control of the flows that handle our consumer data and that's important for GDPR. So that's why you build some federated governance here. Seems this taking them too long to get resources. You need self-serve as a as a platform. I, I think that will probably land. Uh, we are probably landing more on the use case by use case. Um, but taking that step from hey, this is initially a good idea to something that is linked to uh, business outcomes has been the, that that has been the challenge, and and it often is in in digital domains, right? Well, I was, I was actually literally going to ask you about something you just you literally started talking about, which was um, how do you think about replacing existing use cases and that you go use case by use case? And how do you think about rolling this out instead of, hey, everybody migrate everything off of our old thing to the new thing versus, hey, like, are, are you trying to find new use cases? Carlos Sauna, eDreams, Odigio talked about. The only thing we're doing is new use cases, right? You you can you can count something that you've been doing previously as a new use case if you want to completely replace it, but we're not doing any migrations. So like, how are you helping people to think about when is this the right thing versus as well, when is it not ready for their use case or is it not the right time for them to migrate? I think for, for um, me... I have been working in in our commercial domains where we've had two main strategic priorities. And if you work in retail, like everybody has something that sounds like this. But one is personalization. Uh, it you can almost hear from the word what it is, but it, but but it's basically saying take your consumer data and make all the communications uh, you do towards your consumers personalized. You know, you know what they bought, what they've clicked on on the website, which ads they've. Uh, responded to and therefore you can do that in email in uh, on uh, social media or the website there you can personalize the content for them second has been on uh, what we call the uh, omni-channel experience meaning that there's a seamless experience that you get whether you're in a physical store or online and you and you can move uh, between them with these and we still know who you are and again then going back to what we need to do is to say okay for this to happen at scale in a company that has millions of websites visits uh, and uh, uh, enormous amounts of customers in our databases, you need to have scalable data products that can make sure that all of this data goes to all these destinations uh, in, in the right uh, time uh, with the right quality. And this is... It, this is so broad that you inherently need to think about building it in a scalable way, making a data product that serves all of these things, right? And make sure that there's a connective tissue in that mesh that links all of those right data spots because it is so many systems, it is so many uh, data points that goes in. And therefore, that is where you can say you can't build that like pipeline for pipeline because that becomes unmanageable over time and it, it takes too long 
to actually execute it. So you need to say, okay, what are the key data products that are enabling all of this? This is how I've gone about it and where you can make it tangible. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I don't I don't want to get into it right now simply because this is a four hour conversation, but uh, I'd love to have people dig into that decisioning between is this multiple data products, is this one data product? Because exactly what you said of this connective tissue to be able to answer X question is crucial, but we can overload ourselves and not make something scalable. And you you create microliths, you create mini data warehouses that can't evolve and things like that. Let's let's not go into that right now because I, I think um like even a workshop on that is is really interesting and important. But I, I wanted to to talk a little bit about um somewhat of what you were talking about with your journey from uh, on-prem to the cloud and and all of this. But how do we think about, you know, data mesh, one of the the key things that Jamak has talked about for creating it, the reason for creating it is the the data central the centralized data team as a bottleneck. So, how do you actually measure if that is the bottleneck versus you know you're you don't have the right governance in place, but it's the central team isn't the bottleneck? And how how did you think about when is this a tipping point, and how can others kind of start to think about that? You know, I just want to hear kind of your thoughts on on that. Yeah, I actually have maybe the uh, like one example of a, of a bottleneck that we have uh, internally is uh, one of the teams that, that I have my engineers in, our retail team. Uh, and it's because transactions uh, and th- that happens, especially in the physical stores, which account for 75% of our revenue, is key to making a lot of things run because it is who bought something, what's the revenue, Finance people needed to do their month in closure, but it's also uh, it's also the store inventory. That means do we need to order new products so the right things are on the shelf? Uh, and uh, for example, the migration task for that team has been enormous because it's so many systems. And one measure that is easy to say, like the team has grown in number of engineers, uh, and uh, it is well beyond what you would recommend in a Scrum and Agile team. A clear example of you can say a bottleneck because the dependency for this team is so big that nothing moves in five or six other teams if they don't execute it. So that's one of the areas where you can say they need to build stuff in a scalable way. Um, otherwise, like they get drowned in smaller requests uh, for updates and, and all of this stuff. Uh, and maybe the team, the the data is so essential. So so it could be several data products in and of itself, like uh, one for online sales and one for physical stores. So those are some of the things where it's like, yeah, we can see it real time and and it's, it's down to single resources sometimes that are so essential that it's it gets tough to move anything if they haven't been through uh, the development process. And are you finding, like a lot of people have talked about that their data team being the bottleneck was just that their the number of people that they were hiring was increasing, but the number of tickets wasn't, or the number of tickets processed wasn't, the number of, of tickets requested was. But like, is that something that you started to see as well of that this this bottleneck was, you, you knew that you needed to push it to the people who could, but then also give them the resourcing and maybe how you're thinking about resourcing those teams 
yeah. to help them actually take on this new task of data. Yeah, I think actually the team is very productive, but I would more say it is it, the example of a bottleneck is maybe more the time uh, that we see from when something is requested from a business unit or like here is a problem that we have that we want to be better at solving with data. And then when we are able to actually execute it, because like the team backlog is just ballooning. Um, so like I would actually say the 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 time from question uh, to solution is maybe the one that, that we would really want to drive down. Um, yeah, uh, because team productivity, we have... Uh, we have been able to keep that high, but we also almost at the point where we say we can't onboard more developers to this team because uh, then like the product owners, you can't, you know, uh, we only have one, we only have one scrum master for the team. So then we have to go in a whole other direction. Um, but And I would say probably you can solve that by building it in a more scalable way. Yeah. Or you have to just keep breaking them into smaller teams constantly, but then, you know, there's a the disrupting flow. Yeah. Yeah, and their domain ends up being, and you, you don't have as tight of communication between each of the two pizza teams and all that fun stuff. So, um, yeah, I, so when you started to think about decomposing the monolith, you know, whether that's the actual um, approach or the actual physical kind of data platform and things like that, what were you like? What what approach would you recommend for other people to start to to look at when you're you're thinking of that of like where to start or you know do you some people are saying oh we just completely um, with our platform we just started completely greenfield and just build it entirely from scratch versus we're going to carve off some of these capabilities or we're going to replicate these capabilities or how, how do you think about going about that? Yeah, I think you shouldn't. You should think about how your choice of technology, what kind of behavior that will basically incentivize. Uh, so uh, monolithic platform, monolithic mindset, uh, you know, one big pool and there's a lot of visibility in there, but it's also tough to assign ownership uh, to, to everything and, and who has who has made this deployment that uh, screwed up the, the SLA because things broke and who owns this and that. Uh, I would say that's one, say like, okay, there's benefits of going in the, that direction. It makes a lot of things visible if it's all collected one place, uh, but but you run into a lot of other issues. Uh, and then there's like down to the very nerdy uh, kind of uh, stuff. For example, uh, we've, been, we've been building on a dedicated uh, SQL pool in, uh, in the Asia cloud and Synapse. That's just not the best fit. It's it's tougher to break up into smaller uh, team-sized components. We've seen that it's uh, more flexible to do that with a Spark setup and Databricks, where the computer is, is is more easy to to, to move around. Um, in Pandora, uh, Kafka was also introduced a couple of years back, and we can say, oh, this is really also helping us with, for example, aligning. Uh, data producers putting data into our Kafka platform, but then they also get the ownership of like the the raw data products. Us being able to shift some of that responsibility and transformation logic backwards. So we've so, so seen some technological components that can sort of incentivize the right uh, behavior, and where you can also build in some of these governance features. Um, so I think. Being mindful of like what kind of organization are you, where are you on the maturity curve, 
And what does the what does the technology you choose incentivize? How easy is it to move around shifting requirements? Uh, I, I think it is it's, it's things I would consider. Um, yeah. I can also see, for example, we are totally on Microsoft Cloud when it comes to a data analytics landscape. And I think that will help us, for example, when it comes to building a data catalog uh, that, that covers everything because we don't have to go to multiple clouds to find uh, out where the data lies. Uh, but maybe your organization is in that setup, and then is 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 often not a like it's often not a choice to go to a single cloud, right? Then you are inherently multi-cloud. Yeah, and and I think one I, I'd like to kind of dig in a little bit deeper on that incentivization because some of it is incentivizing them to feel comfortable that they're going to own it, and some of it is incentivizing them to share it and all of that. So, like. I mean, we don't have to think only in the in the technological sense, but how are you working with people to get them to feel like they can own their data? Is it, you know, some people are trying to treat it a little bit like a hot potato where yesterday I was the owner, tomorrow or today you're the owner versus shared ownership and things like that over time or that they start to take on more and more of the complexity of ownership or like, how are you thinking about getting people okay with owning the data? Is there anything specific that you're doing on this incentivization side? It's it's a lot of like one-to-one interactions. Uh, I, I've had one of the teams being the uh, sort of the central team for consumer data uh, that also handle, for example, who is clicking on a website and what are they clicking on, uh, the emails we're sending, to people, the interactions we're getting back from those, they sort of like use Databricks to extract that data from whichever platform that, w- that was done on. But now we've sort of, you know, been able to say, hey, um, maybe you guys that are and girls that are developing these platforms, you should own the uh, data output of like at least the raw data. There's like you uh, design the schemas, you design the, the outlook for them. It's your SLAs basically if the data doesn't get there. Can't you see some sense in this? And they often can, uh, because they can also see that they can uh, meet some of their requirements to other customers uh, uh, faster, uh, or they get a better understanding of it and can see what they deliver as like a more holistic product. Um, but it, it requires a lot of those, in, uh, you know, interactions and sometimes lending them resources, They're saying like, okay. Uh, you have maybe uh, a lot of application developers and know how to do that. Uh, maybe you loan some of our resources for half a year to build the, the data setup that allows you to do this. Yeah, I think that's been something that's people want a a kind of what I call the the MMW of the mesh magic wand of they want the specific set of words to go and say to everybody and everybody's bought in versus what's going to get you there like what can i do to to get you there but i i think one thing and it's tough because it's not necessarily the case for every domain but for most domains the people that are going to be able to leverage their data the, the most that are going to get the most value out of it are themselves so if you're teaching them how to do that how to actually get them to that much of better then you know, you can say there is significant value here and we're going to also, you know, help you with putting some of the the data budget that was flowing to the data team back into you or or things like that. But 
are you having to play around at all with with budgeting or anything like that? I know you said you were chasing a bunch of cost cutting, but what a lot of what a lot of organizations are are struggling with is pushing this ownership onto the domains. The domains say this is yet another task. I need more people to deal with this. And so are are you making it easy enough that they can deal with it? Or like, how are you preventing or or are you like kind of transferring resources into them permanently? Or like, how are you thinking about that without getting into any financial specifics, obviously? (laughs) Um, It's a good question. Uh, I were still... Uh, th- there's some uh, organizational specific things that means that, for example, in the consumer domain where I've been working, where it's very ma- where some of this thinking is more mature, uh, it's still within my boss's boss's area. So, like, it's uh, budget is not moving there. But in other domains, it would be over time. You say, if you really wanted to move this, then it would also be a fair question saying, hey, we are, aren't we taking work off your backs? Shouldn't we be compensated for that? And, and that request would be fair. Um, there are some things we're doing in terms of saying like, okay, now we are, for example, say uh, we have this data product uh, data product uh, on top of our ERP systems creating sales orders, and we are t- uh, gradually shifting some of that responsibility closer to the domain. Uh, and then there's been a specific discussion like, are they working inside or outside of our infrastructure? Where we have said like, hey, if we do it in a decomposable way, uh, we, you know, they can work inside the infrastructure. We can still assign the cost to them, and then it then it is easier to integrate it into the the larger landscape. Like it follows all the same rules, uh, but they get that freedom even though they actually don't sit in our organization. That's been one of the discussions we've been having recently about how do you structure that correctly. Um, I think overall with domains, I think realization that I've come to also here in the recent months is that if you were to do this again from the start, you would have focused much more on the more mature domains. Like there's some areas that is, they're just not there. Like they're not that interested in it. There's not the organizational buy-in. I think we would have been better off like two years ago saying like, okay, we just go deep in these areas and really try to show the value of it. Um, and then have all the budget discussions uh, uh, along the way with those. But um, it was a little bit more from the start. Hey, let's get everybody on this journey. And, and that was maybe not realistic. I think, well, I think there's some some patterns in there that are working well and some that, that are challenging because it does depend on if you have this really top-down buy-in, then, you know, oh, this is something that the CEO and the CTO are talking about. Okay, then I need to participate. And you're, you start to tell them, no, you, you wait for two years before we're ready for you. Or... If you go with only the most mature domains, then you build something that may not be ready for the immature or may not the immature pe- the domains as you get them towards where they're ready to actually head down this journey. Your platform or your ways of working aren't set up for them. And so it's all this set of balance. But yeah, I do think that of, hey, trying to get everybody to, to head down this at once just creates a little bit too much overhead to, to get this in the right way versus what you were talking about earlier of use case by use case of let's prove out some value. Let's make this something that everybody wants to participate in because we've got the champions and the know-how how to do this and move forward. But it is all a balance. And I haven't found anybody who said, 
yeah, I wouldn't change anything based on her journey. Everyone's like, oh man, I would do it so different. Every every single one says they would do it so different. And and I would probably find the principles or the areas where I would say these are uh, these are the must dos for everybody. Like they, these are things that we say. Like even though you know you are maybe getting a watered down version of data mesh because you don't think your domain is ready for it. We say that this is an essential component, right? If that's a data catalog, if it's on some sort of other governance component, uh, it, it could be a way to say, hey, even though we are working on a little bit of different levels here, we, we need to have some things that at least are common before this becomes a success. And that can maybe be a way to say like, okay, don't worry about data mesh, but worry about a data catalog. Yeah, and that, that that maturity journey, right? Of, hey, you're not ready yet, so we're going to get you so that you are ready when we're when the time comes. Like how how do you think about that um that communication with domains about what they're capable of at this point? Because, you know, it it, it I don't want to treat anybody like children, but children analogies always come uh, kind of best when it comes to data mesh and maturity and things like that. Some people aren't ready to, you know, uh I don't know go down the the big hill when you're skiing or anything like that. The first time I went skiing, I had no idea really what I was doing and my my parents weren't skiers at all. And so I went down the like straight down the the black diamond which was just a straight downhill. Um uh and you know, managed to survive. Uh it was it was an exciting thing, but um like how do you think about having those those conversations of like those tough conversations of you're not ready for this or you need to do this to get ready. It will often be very natural. Like it, it, I think it is in our organization because um, if you if you look at our finance department, it is you can say their focus is just somewhere else. Uh, like they uh, they are worried about like uh, that the numbers are correct. There's proper data quality that it arrives on time that they can do month end closing. And they don't have, uh, uh, they are still in this, you know, let's be really mature in the classical uh, self-service analytics uh, domain. Uh, if you went to them and say, like, now you need a lot more ownership of the data, uh, like this, you know, they're fine by running it as like uh, IT that has some applications and a data team that does these, this data for them. Whereas when you go to, in our case, uh, I think, and that will hold true for a lot of retail companies, when you look at marketing and supply chain, those domains in retail companies these days are really technical uh, because they need a lot of data to move around uh, before you know what needs to be ordered from the factory to go to the store, all of the logistics, uh, the commercial uh, use uh, on different social media platforms, ad spending, all of that requires enormous amount of data. So I think it is, uh, finance organization requires that as well, but, but much more from like, I just need to know the numbers. All of these other areas have a lot of software engineers, uh, developers around them. Um, so it, it comes more, in our business, it comes much more naturally. And it's almost like, uh, if you don't have that conversation about, hey, maybe you need to take part of this ownership, then, yeah, then they'll be a little bit mad. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's interesting. There, I just I've dealt with people that were unable to self-reflect on the maturity of their <laughs> their line of business and things like that. So I think it's it's interesting. 
Um, so we were planning as well on talking about like getting ready to to head down the data mesh um, journey and where you're going for your preparation phase. How do you even prepare for your preparation phase? How do you start to have those conversations again so that you're not like one of the things that I've been struggling or, or that I'm seeing a lot of people struggling with is data has historically been this thing where people come and we're like, we're going to deliver all this value and it's because we're doing X or Y. And it's been a technology or maybe an approach, but typically, you know, because we're we're rolling out a data link or because we're doing, you know, we're migrating to the cloud or whatever. And that that's the thing that delivers value instead of what we're doing enables us to deliver value because we're it gives us new capabilities. So when you're thinking about that preparation phase and getting people kind of excited, how did you go about that communication of this is actually different? It's not different because it was a cloud or it was a data warehouse and now and then it was a data lake. It's different because it's a completely different thought pattern and approach. Like how did you get people how did you prepare for for that as well to for the, from that communications team? Yeah, I think it's um, it's another reflection I've had upon our you can say our cloud migration journey was initially uh, the uh, cloud migration was focused around two main things, but it was uh, saying like uh, we we wanted to build this self service portal in our uh, internal uh, website universe in Pandora. Uh, that we didn't have before, where data became much more accessible and easy to find. Uh, and then it was to build a, a store manager dashboard. The first product we built to our uh, store managers that we have a lot of thousands of around the world, where they could see you know, the overall stats from the day. Data was coming in every 30 minutes instead of once every day in the, re the reporting they had before. But that was very like, it's still very successful. I think we are... Uh, we hit 200,000 uh, clicks on our store manager dashboard within like, the next couple of months. Uh, and, and that was a very specific thing that we said, like, we couldn't do this before. Now we can do it. You can see it. Uh, I think that you should have the same sort of confidence in saying, like, okay, I want to find some area where we can tangibly do something that we couldn't do before or a significant business metric that we want to move. Uh, if you are, for example, uh, uh, working in the consumer domain, uh, we are looking at how much personalized content can we provide to, to customers. Uh, what is the click-through rates we get on the Google platforms when we expose them to uh, commercials? There's some of these things where we can say, hey, let's actually try and move this because we know it is impacting revenue, it's impacting how much money we move. And I think that's where you should uh, be willing to say, let's put our asses on the line here and say, uh, we think we can do better. Um, because otherwise, what's the point? Right? You're not doing it for the sake of governance. You're not doing it for the sake of data mesh. You're doing it because you tangibly think it will improve something in your business. Yeah. I, I The number of times I say, say data mesh isn't the point. Jamak has said it. I, I've said it. We don't want to be talking about data mesh, you know, despite the fact that I've got a podcast and a company named after data mesh and you know founded data mesh learning too is the community but like we don't want to be talking about data mesh we want to be talking about business outcomes and how to do things better and we think that data mesh is an approach to learn how to do that but like 
people aren't spending this much time talking about microservices, right? And it did take us 10 years to really figure out how to do that. You know, back in uh, 2011, it was kind of a, how big is your, is your microservice? And your microservice must be tiny, tiny, tiny. And if it does more than anything, then you've failed in your microservices. And people are like, that's not a reasonable approach. But like the whole point of this, I, I like what you're saying. When you were getting people excited about it, was it that you were coming to them with the, wouldn't you like to do X? Or were you saying, what are you trying to do? Come back to us and we'll we'll talk to you about how we might be able to accomplish that. Like, how did you get that conversation going where their creative juices are the things that are flowing instead of you having to create everything yourself? Yeah, the, I think one of the most productive sessions I was in was, with this was basically when we had a... Um, uh, one of our vice presidents that has worked a lot with the consumer domain had had done this user journey for us and has had, we again some outside consultants had had said like we we see some silos around your different areas right the people are not talking together as much as they should have so uh, we this did this workshop where we had basically just a, a user journey described in clear English like a person goes into a store they buy something they sign up to the loyalty program. And all around, there was a lot of different touch points on uh, what needed to happen across some of these systems. And you could just see, then we mapped it out, say like what data needs to exist different places and what does it look like when we draw it off? Uh, it was very nerdy and technical exercise, but this could just, this just showed you like how inherently decentralized orchestrating some of these journeys are in a big company uh, like we are. And that different teams needed to build different products that needed to be handed off. All of this needed to be connected for it to make sense. I think those sort of exercises where you can say, like, forget data mesh, data platforms, all of this. Try to say, like, define some of these user journeys that you know is something that you can do today and that you would provide a lot of value if you could execute. And then say, like, okay, try and map it out. How would that look like? Uh, is it doable within the existing architectures that piece is missing? Uh, and I think just that exercise in and of itself would probably lead to some sort of data missions by way of looking at things. Because I don't think anybody would come back and say, like, okay, all of this can be done inside of our team in this one platform that we have. Uh, it would probably look like a little bit of a crazy spider web, but there was a lot of sense in that. But, but I do think it also allows teams to say you control your journey on what you're trying to actually accomplish once we get to a, a thing where you are able to go and, you know, yes, we want everybody to share their data, but a lot of this stuff that you're trying to accomplish is often built off of your own information. So you just need to be able to do that little bit of horse trading to get the information from externally. And then you're able to do so much more and you're able to deliver on it in your timeline, right? You're able to try new things because if the information is available, you're able to make smaller bets and test things and go, oh, well, we want to do, you know, um, a, a Friday happy hour sale or something like that, where, you know, every Friday from three to, to five p.m. because for some reason every happy hour is two hours but you know three to five p.m. then you know or, or that we partner with a a local restaurant and that you know if you've bought this then your drinks are half off for 
you know, the next uh, couple of hours after you've bought this or, you know, you try these things out and go, let's see what happens. Let's see these little things and, and do that and see what works instead of having to set this stuff up for weeks at a time. You have that quick ability to just kind of jump in once we're further down the pipe. But also, like you were saying, what more could you do? What what are you actually trying to accomplish? And that the data can be your kind of co-pilot or your astrogator, right? People think of data-driven as if the data is the thing that's making the decision. And to me, that's maybe data-dragged. That's a, a, a phrase that I came up over with over the weekend. If like the data is the thing making it, it's dragging the person along versus being able to make these kind of finer grained things and do more interesting things. I mean, were people leaning into that or were they just kind of like, yeah, 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 it's yet another data promise until you sh- you showed somebody doing that? I think it goes back to, you can say, especially when you when you look at orchestrating consumer data. Like again, some domains were more bought into it than others, but but some could just see like, yeah, in, inherently what we need to do is several different teams that need to develop and do their own data and hand this off. In, in a variety of different ways, especially when you then want to add machine learning on top, which needs to integrate a lot of this to uh, to put some intelligence to all of the things you're distributing, right? Uh, then you often need a, a subset of a lot of data products. Um, so, so again, some areas, I think it made a lot of sense. And like, again, early on, we were like, everybody come on this journey. And and then there was somewhere we could say like okay here it makes sense uh, and and here it uh, let's just let it let it rest organizationally we're not there uh, and I think that's a little bit where we 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 still are it's like okay actually going in and building the platforms actually getting teams to adopt this approach and then uh, getting some ownership on cost uh, and uh, assigning that to product teams uh, is also helping us uh, with this so so that's an ask from senior management. Um, but it actually aligns pretty well with what we want to build. Yeah, it's it's interesting because some people, you know, are like, okay, we get better feel on our our costs, but doesn't data mesh cost way more? And it's like it depends, right? It depends on how you're thinking about it and how you're approaching it. Yeah, exactly. And I will say that not necessarily. I think a monolith, a monolith can cost a lot of things as well. Like one of the things that we've seen is that when we chop up the uh, chop up a monolith in more and smaller pieces that are more decomposable. For example, it becomes easier to downscale systems uh, to uh, pause uh, development environments over weekends or test environments. Like there's all these small bits and pieces where it requ- uh, it's it's a lot about your engineering discipline and not necessarily the paradigm that you've chosen to uh, structure a landscape after. And generally, you can say that. I, I think we see that more and more of these uh, vendors that everybody uses are going to these much more like consumption-driven pricing models where you pay for what you use and not like this big box that you uh, that you allocate uh, to yourself. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so so some of these these things is also helping from a platform perspective, saying like it's not necessarily more expensive. Yeah, or. or- you end up spending slightly more, but it's because you've made conscious choices to of where to spend and why, and that you go, okay, we saw the cost benefit here instead of we don't have control and we don't understand. And, you know, it, it, I, I've seen that before of like, the more that you understand what you're actually trying to do, the better it is for the business, because then you can make conscious decisions. And so 
it may it may be that you spend a little bit more upfront because especially consumption based pricing if you have the difference between consumption and always on if you're using that always on uh, uh, to its fullest it's always way cheaper than consumption but so many times you're not and you don't understand why what this thing is and what it's running and why versus that very very distributed ownership i think yeah it's 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 uh, always a, a fun uh, conversation for for people but um so we we've talked about a whole heck of a lot of uh, things is there anything we didn't cover or any way you want to wrap up the episode mm, no not necessarily i think we covered a lot it's like there's there's so many pieces where you could dive into the all of the the, the detailed components of it uh but but yeah I, I i i think we've covered it awesome well i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you uh, is there a, a best place for people to do that anything specific you want them following up about Probably LinkedIn. Uh, my LinkedIn is uh, is the place where I write from time to time. I'm, I I don't have an ambition of uh, being like a, a LinkedIn influencer in, in any ways, but like I, I like from time to time share my thoughts on like, hey, we did this, it went well, uh, or we did this, it really like there were some learnings from it. But I would like to uh, have a do over if I could. Uh, yeah, uh, but but people are always welcome to to write to me there, and I often reply, especially if it's uh, a well thought out. Uh, a message and not like too much of a sales pitch uh. <laughs> for sure well i'll drop a link to that in the show notes people can find you very easily but again frederick thank you so much for spending the time here with me today and as well thank you everyone out there for listening i'd again like to thank my guest today frederick nielsen engineering manager at pandora you can find a link to his linkedin in the show notes as per usual thank you Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. April of 2023, I left Datastacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.